So we're going to call what we're going to go through now a day of movement or a day to march. So we're going to try. Remember, God, God, God's word doesn't come like we try and find words to describe what we see. So I'm going to try and use certain, these two words. So, so, so the first one is movement. The simple one is an act or a process of moving or especially of changing place and position. The, the operative word is that there is a changing. When, we, when you move, when you move, the big part of that thing is that movement produces change and a change of place or position. Or it's a series, almost like a series or a program of acts that work together. They work together to a, a new desired end or some form of reform. So I want you to picture that. So, so you can't actually say you are moving or there is movement in your heart without actually having something like a new place or a position. You know, movement is provoked actually by these things. A new place, a new position provokes movement. Another word I want us to look at is, is this one, to march. Like I said, we, we didn't grow up during the time of the war, so we, we're not very familiar with this word. But when an army marches, it's, it's a very military word as well. It, it's, it's basically a manner of how an army walks. Walk in a military manner with a regular measured thread. It's almost like an organized way of moving forward. So marching is not just, it's an organized way of moving forward. So you think of it, a military march. I mean, I, I got some pictures that I kind of found. I was looking for, you know, how other ancient guys were marching, but I found most recent ones. But, but it's very organized. It's very structured. It's almost like you tell that these guys have been practicing this thing. They didn't just get that day to march, you know. Another picture that you may have, those who watch medieval movies, I'm sure, Manus, you've seen your dad watch them. Whenever they go to war, there's a way, you know, that a march happens. Right. So, so and also another way of marching is a walk along the road in an organized procession as a form of a protest. This we are used to. I'm sure you guys are used to. I'm, I'm sure most of you are used to very disorganized protests because of tear gas and everything, but let's just... Let's just picture a, a legal protest, a legal march, you know, where the police are actually, you know, watching and everybody is, like I said, it's organized procession, you know. Organized procession. Organized. Oh, another thing about this march is a march is public. You don't march in secret. Those who march, we call them in Zulu, Amagundan, Reds, those who march. Who are busy marching, they are not there. They are called rats. But this is a public thing. When you start to work, you'll find this. I'm sure Paul knows about it. You know about rats, right? Yes. <laughs> so, so marching is public. That means when you march, we can see your face. We can see that you were there at the march. We saw you. You passed on TV. But it's organized and it's a procession. And there is a when you say protest, that means a march as well as a pronouncement. March is not quiet. You know, I don't, I don't know if you guys remember the march of those three old ladies. Zuma must go. So a, a march, a march has a, a sound. It's not quiet. You can't march, you know. There are people who march silently, but they're usually carrying something, even if they march silently. A march has a sound. 
there is a declaration that a match makes. So I want to give you these things because I want to describe, almost trying to capture what God is doing among us or what God has done probably from the time we began to set our mind on having those kingdom humanity meetings. That God is actually taking us on a, on a movement. Change of position. God is taking us on a march. We're very public. We're, we're no longer, it's no longer a secret. It's, it's an organized procession. So I, I took a picture. I couldn't find a beautiful one. But those who are old, so this movement, this march, is a civil rights movement that was led by Martin Luther King and other leaders. Now, this is a march, guys, or a movement. Yeah. A movement, you can see number of people in the street. This was a civil rights movement. This was not something they did only once. They were doing this thing because they were desiring a new position. So they did this thing over and over in various ways. And there was serious hostility, but we'll talk about that later. So these guys were doing this, not once, not twice, a number of times. Actually, if you follow the history of this movement, you'll find that there was a bus, a bus that was burned when these guys were dealing with one of the issues around that time. So a movement, it declares a position. You can see their position. Equal rights, decent housing. So you see in a match, you never, even if you're silent, there's something that you're carrying. And, and you can imagine the amount of time it took. Because sometimes you see the match, because you see a picture. There was something that they did before this. Mobilization of people. So a, a march has a background work, an organization and formation. So, so when you're going to actually do this movement thing, or a movement has this thing behind it, background work and organization, almost relationships. I'm sure these guys knew each other. You know, these are not strangers. <laughs> Another thing about a movement, there's a connectedness that makes people speak with one voice. A movement makes a people speak with one voice. Almost when you are accused. You are accused according to the voice of the movement. When you are taken to court, usually the statement is not what you said individually. What they ascribed to you was what was the movement saying. So, so, so that connectedness makes us to actually own one voice. So a movement gives us connectedness, and makes us speak with one voice. So there are guys who may never even have spoken a word, but this movement was ascribed to them. It's accredited to them. Or even this generation. You could even say that. The generation of this time, if you live at this time, you'll be looked as if, if you were black, especially in the U.S., you'll be looked as if you marched. Because that was what those people in your time were talking about. Yeah. These are characteristics I want us to think about as we're trying to capture what God is doing among us. Movements are led and are a collective mobilization. So there are a number of guys, I think one of the leaders who used to be here has just recently died. He used to be in Congress, Martin Luther. There are many guys who would have led this movement and they are known. So there were leaders around the space. And there was a collective mobilization. The interesting thing is that their leadership doesn't exist unless there's this. Yeah. 
So there's a big part around movements of collective mobilization. Collective mobilization. So that's one thing I wanted to keep in your mind. So I, I found this picture. An army's march. You know, today, armies march because they are just displaying, you know. In the olden days, when armies did this, it meant they were going to war. Yeah. Yeah. Today, they are like military drills or whatever. But in those days, when an army did this, it meant there was someone at the end of this march who was going to actually get something. So, so it's, it's to be ready for war and to go to, back, to the battlefield. That means you... There's, there's a mindset that these guys would have at this point. And again, you can see that it's not only this. There's also other things, like tanks and stuff. Meaning when we march, there are resources that are beyond just the humans that are there. It doesn't show the intelligence officers who are, who are going to be giving information to this group. But mobilizing military resources to be in a position to take territory. So when an army marches, I mean, in the, in the medium of the movies, you'll find a spy that is sent first to send a letter or to check. So there's intelligence. There's a lot of things that have been mobilized when we're actually saying we're going to be ready for war. Meaning it's not how good the sniper is. Yes, the snipers may be good. The, the, the tankers may be good. But there are other guys who need to be part of this who may not even be mentioned. You know, and, and each one takes his or her position to engage. Like I said, there would be military guys, there would be snipers, there would be, there would be generals, there would be those who, who just, their job is to give food to the army. That guy does not bring food, <laughs> I assure you. The battle could change significantly. So, 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 so there is this issue of everyone is engaged in their position. And they know how significant what they do is. Meaning it's not about where they are. They know who they are and what they deliver. So it could be a guy, I think it was one guy I saw was interviewed, who was a cook in Iraq. He has been cooking there for 20 years. Imagine cooking in Iraq for 20 years. If the cook didn't cook, it would have been interesting. If it didn't cook right, it would have been interesting. And they are under rank and order. I mean, it's always beautiful to watch these things. Actually, there was a point where Trump saw another match somewhere. He, he asked for one. He said, this thing is nice. I want one as well. They are just beautiful. And it's order, it's rank. And again, it doesn't just happen. There is drills around this. Drills to make sure that they are ready for this thing. Such that if ever we need to go to war, it's not like what we need to do. They know exactly what they need to do. So, so I'm trying to use these pictures to go back to something that was declared to us in the Kingdom Humanity Meeting. I think Robert had used that these are the word of Christ. I just changed to say, the church is ordained to fight and to take territory. This is our ordained, when, when God ordained us as church, this was the ordination. We are ordained to fight and we are ordained to take territory. We are ordained to fight and we are ordained to take territory. Meaning it's not like we are defensive people. You know sometimes when people are, they think of, of, of good people. Good people are not just people who just defend. You know sometimes when you go to a fight, you're like the one you are defending. That's not a good person. That person is bad. 
A good person is the one who knows that I'm in a fight. Since I'm in a fight, I need to throw punches. Let me repeat that. A good person is not the guy who doesn't punch. I know we, we think that guy is a good guy. He didn't hit him. No, no, no. The first issue was to reconcile with the fact that I was in a, I'm in a fight. Since I'm in a fight, I have now to throw punches. Unless maybe you were not in the fight, you were coming to separate people, which usually ends up being something else in certain places. But, but we are ordained to fight. And this scripture says it very nicely. When you look at it, the way Jesus says it, says, I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. And the next thing about building this church, he begins to talk about the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'm sure it kind of gave guys a sense of, beyond the issue of hostility, there is something that we actually are engaging. There is a warfare that we've been introduced into. And when you go to war, you don't go to defend, you go to win. No one goes to war to say, no, we're not going to shoot them. We just want to go. So we're ordained to fight and we're ordained to take territory. And that's the mindset we need to kind of begin to reintroduce back in our lives and our minds. That as, as believers, <clears throat> God ordained us to fight and there are territories we must take. That means there must be a sense of this is how far I've moved. This is what I'm fighting for. And I can actually mention it because there's the other part, which is the gate of Hades or the strategies of, 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 of darkness. That means there's the other guy who's very clear about the fact that he wants you to fall, he wants you to doubt, he wants, I mean, the enemy, I mean, how many times in a day do you have doubting thoughts? I don't know, maybe I'm, the, I'm just one of those guys. I mean, this, this man is shooting fury darts at you. You doubt all kinds of things and you are busy thinking, I'm going to be a good guy. I mean, in one day, if I could say count the number of thoughts that come against your character and everything, you would realize the enemy is on a serious war footing. So the gates of hate are not relaxing. They kind of are strategizing around your life. So when we think of this, think of a, think of a, a headquarters with your profile and your profile is being discussed, and the nature of your day, and how your day is going to be like, and what can we do about your day to just get you off your groove, and you forget God. I know whenever we think of gates of Hades, you know, we don't imagine. This is a strategic engagement with Wa's life in order for him to deny God. So you can imagine, strategic engagement, Thinking carefully through life and thinking carefully through your day. So these are things we need to reconcile with. We're ordained to fight and take territory. Now, this begins to bring up new things. That's what I want to kind of touch on today. So, so the gates of Hades are busy. You better be busy as well. Yeah. If you are not busy strategizing around how to protect your mind, how to have a good day, how to pray for your day, how, to, how your day is going to be like, how to commit your day to the Lord, while there's the other guy on the other side who's like, yeah, maybe send 50 demons today just to work this thing out. You know? yeah. And you come to work, the, the things are just not the way they are supposed to be. It's just, a, a, it's almost like a bad day from the first day. So 
I just want us to reconcile with that, that there is this thing called the gate of hate, a strategic space that is dealing with how your life has to actually be separated from God. So you cannot deal with this with, with being a good guy. A good guy does not win here. It's a fighter that wins. And the territory is you. So let's, let's continue a bit. Another scripture. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. I mean, this scripture begins to just tell us that when we accepted Jesus and said, Jesus, come into my life, we just introduce ourselves to a violent space. Violent space. And we have to reconcile with that part of our lives. We have to kind of begin to think of it. If ever God is saying the space that I've actually come into, that is my inheritance, is suffering violent. And the violent are the ones that qualify to really take it. That means no one is going to just give it to you. The violent, the ones that are willing to fight hostile forces that are against the kingdom of God in my life, are those who inherit the kingdom. So, so we come to a place where we need to understand this. That's why we're going to appreciate movement. We're going to appreciate my brother. Because you know when you're not at war, you don't care about friends. Eh? You know when you're not in a battle, there are things you don't care about. When you're not in a hostility, where there is no lack in your life, there are things you don't care about. But if you reconcile that I'm existing in a place of violence and force, you begin to look for your brother. Because you know there's no way to win a war just by yourself. If you look at that procession earlier, there were many men walking along beside each other, going to war. In that march, there were many men, many women, carrying placards, expressing that. I know we live in a time where, you know, have you guys noticed that there are no longer groups, R&B groups in our day? I don't know, is it me that noticed that? There's like just solo artists. Solo. Even if there was a group, the guy gets out and says, I want to be a solo artist. We live in a time where no one needs anyone. I'm going to make it on my own. I'm just saying, I grew up in a time of boys to men, you know. I grew up around a time where there were a lot of groups. I mean, I noticed, I'm like, oh, okay, these days, just, just be yourself. So it's, a, it's, it's an interesting was there, the limitation is that you cannot do certain things alone. You cannot do certain things alone. And we have to reconcile with these things as we actually understand what God is doing among us. So, I want to start at Joshua chapter 3. I wanted to start at X, oh yeah, I thought the scripture was gone. So I want to use the scripture I used with men on Friday. I thought this kind of impacted me in a certain way to just emphasize certain things. Um, so, so the background to the scripture is that Moses has been, Moses and Aaron have been going to Pharaoh. And if Pharaoh says no, God responds with a plague. So that's been the action. Pharaoh says no, frogs are everywhere. Pharaoh says okay, okay, let's talk. He says no, the water turns into blood. It's just Moses and Aaron. So if you were to look at that movie, the superstars of that movie is Aaron and Moses. If ever you were cheering on, like, go, Aaron and Moses. Go deal with Pharaoh. So it's almost 
pre-chapter 12, you have these two men dealing with the issue and dealing with Pharaoh. And it's, it's hectic. I mean, if you look at those plagues, you realize that shucks, the power that Moses and Aaron have is powerful. But none of that made Pharaoh say yes. I'm not saying it was not good enough, but none of whatever those, the partnership between Moses, Aaron, and God was doing well, but he didn't achieve certain things. So let's read this scripture in chapter 12. So it's almost like God begins to take the, the game to the next level. So God begins to say, you know what, we have to upgrade the game. This thing of you two going there doesn't seem to be achieving the desired goal. But here is what's going to achieve the desired goal. So chapter 12 from verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month and the first month of your year. It's almost like God declares a new beginning. It's almost like God begins to say, you know what? Almost the things are done. We're starting a new journey now. Tell the community of Israel that on the 10th month of this month, each man is to take a lamp for his family. Each man is to take a lamp for his family. I mean, no more stick. I, mean, I thought God was going to say every man must get a stick, you know. Have more sticks. Because it was a stick that was doing things there. Each man must take a lamp for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for the whole lamp, they must share with, with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there, that are there, you are to determine the amount of lamp needed according to what each person will eat. I mean, God, God is setting up a feast when we are supposed to fight. It's interesting. The animal you must choose must be a year old, male, without defect. You may take them from the sheep and the, or the goat. Take care of them until 14 days. So it gives specific instruction. You must take care of them for 14 days of the month, for, for, until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Another instruction. When to slaughter then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the side and the top of the door frame of their houses where they will eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over fire along with bitter herbs and bread without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boil it in water, but roast it over fire with the head and legs and internal organs. Those who love insides, I wonder how they taste when they're bright. Don't leave any till morning. If, if ever some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your clothes tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your stuff on your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the, Passover. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass over through Egypt and strike down every firstborn. Of both animals, of both people and animals, I will bring judgment on all God, God, on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. So, I want to talk about this because for me, it it's almost captures exactly what God requires of us as a community when He's actually come out to partner to fulfill His word. If you remember this, what God has said in the last few, in the last verse, verse twelve, it's what He had promised to Abraham. 
It was his promise that I will come and I will judge that nation harshly. So God is beginning to release that. But what God does when he wants to do this, he moves away just from what Moses and Aaron can do. He begins to mobilize the whole community. Not just the whole community, every household. Not just household, even the child was mobilized. Everyone, when God was about to fulfill his word, he begins to mobilize them. You know, almost like the Lord mobilized, like I said here, he takes, he's taking these households to war. He basically mobilized community and household for military engagement and movement. That's why he declared to them, this day is a new day. I mean, imagine a slave being told, this is a new day, first month, new life. So God mobilizes them around movement. You can tell even the way, and he gives them instructions on how to engage this day. Number two, there was leadership, and there was individual ownership and participation. Almost even the child had to actually eat. Even the child had to actually grill the loins. And, and it's almost if you were to take a picture of a household at night, you would actually see that no one was not engaged in what God was doing at this time. So there was leadership, yes. Every man was leading his home. Even Moses and Aaron, they had to go back home. Almost like equalization, you could say. God begins to say, there's something I want to do, and I want everyone to participate, and I want everyone doing this in their home. So there was leadership, yes, and there was individuals, ownership, and participation. You could say there was empowerment from just one man or two leaders to the collective company to give God partnership. I mean, it's been Moses and Aaron, right? From those two guys to God saying, I want partnership that is collective, like a movement. in order to destroy this empire. And God was very clear, I'm going to judge this nation. So these instructions of eating like this and doing like this and doing like this, they are all intended to, to destroy an empire. So you could say that obedience was the way to march. So when the man went to his house, identifying the, the lamp and making sure the lamp is right and making sure the bitter herbs are there. I mean, you could even think it's ridiculous, you know. You guys, this is war. The war was, there was instruction. So each and every household was participating in this instruction. Offering the Lord that we should require to destroy this empire. So you could say everyone was actually obeying and that was their march. That was their march, obeying. And for me, this is how really the Lord is desiring to really move in the next phase. When God says kingdom humanity, he didn't say kingdom human. He said humanity. It's like a collective. Almost like the Lord is saying, yes, it's been great doing certain things in a certain way, but moving forward, there is a collective expression that will be more destructive than what I've been doing. Almost like there's no new day or there's no sense of walking in a new ecology until we really begin to realize there is a collective demand. It's not just me. It's not just someone else. There is a collective demand on everyone 
to begin to do specific things inside of their own household. Specific things. And that's the war. I mean, so, I know it doesn't look like it was a war. I mean, there was, I'm sure the guy was sweating, was slaughtering this. And that was the only sweating that was happening. You know? So, just repeat this. The Lord mobilizes the collective into a military procession. The Lord has leaders, but he takes the matter to everybody's ownership. He empowers everyone, every man, every man. Every man that day was actually almost Moses. It was like God had from one Moses to maybe 5,000 Moseses that had to facilitate something that God desired that night. And God required a company to destroy an empire. So obedience, that's what it means. So if you go to your house and actually obey God in this season, it means this. It may have meant something else in other seasons, but in this season, it means you are beginning to make contribution in destroying certain things in darkness. You are beginning to do certain things to, destroy, to do certain things in darkness. That's why I need to know what my brother is doing. I think there's a phrase that came through my house when we were chilling with the guys with Langanani. I heard it when I said it. I said, I have shares in your marriage. I have ownership in your marriage. I have ownership. I own. That means I have certain rights. Because you're my brother. And I have an inheritance in your life. Part of that inheritance is your marriage. It's almost like moving into a new world where you know now that I don't own my life. God owns it and my brother owns it. A new way to march. I mean, like I said, we, we live in a world where people treasure their giftedness. How gifted you are. And I'm not saying people shouldn't be gifted. I'm sure there was a guy who could slaughter stuff very well here than any other guy. And it didn't diminish Moses in any way in his role as a leader. But what God required was a collective. The offering that God wanted was a collective. Not Moses' yes. I mean, as much as there may be a big desire in Moses, the desire to be translated to the people, to offer God what he required. So, this is part of the picture of what's going on. Meaning, everyone had to go to their house with certain kinds of conviction about this process. Meaning, you could say in our day, your convictions that you are engaging with the Lord are your participation in the collective movement. So, when we are sharing our convictions in this space, that's you saying, this is how I'm marching. This is how I'm marching. So when you share your convictions, you're showing me how you're marching. And another thing about convictions, they inspire. I'm sure there was someone who was not clear about what the meeting did. When he had someone saying something, they became clear about what the meeting did. So your march and your pronouncement about how you march is encouraging someone else to march as well. So our convictions become the, really the, the facilitator of the collective marching. Meaning I want my convictions precious. That means to me, your convictions are precious as well. Because I know that's what excellence is connecting us right now. Meaning I want you to be hearing the voice of the Lord. I want you convicted. I want you walking in God. I want that for you. Because I know that there's no way we achieve this until you are in full embrace of your, of your convictions.
So the collective is not formed by meetings. Meetings are important. You know, sometimes we go to a meeting and there's like powerful stuff that's happening and you may think that's what God is after. Well, God is beautiful. The meeting, God wants it. But it's after what really is the impact of the meeting after. The collective impact of that meeting and how people begin to carry those things. Almost like you carry your conviction as a placard, you know. That's your pronouncement in the march. Your conviction is your pronouncement. If ever those guys were saying, better houses, equal rights, what are you saying? Because God wants a collective sound that is shaped by his voice to partner with that. Amen. So if we describe the season, we're describing it by actually saying, it's, it's, it's very personal, like it said last week, it's, it's a personal collective reality. It's very personal. That means you are making a contribution. You are making a contribution. Another picture that we want to use, this you may actually read at home. It's quite a long scripture. But it's, 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 it's John chapter 3. Moses is dead, our hero. Moses is dead, and now a new reality has to come up. Now, you must know the background of this chapter because sometimes you, you may read it as if you don't know what's happening. These guys were ready to go to war. This was not praying. This was, they were ready to go and take their inheritance. So, you could say one, when Joshua came to this place where God was saying, go in this particular way and march, he was very clear that I'm going to war. But God gives them instructions. If you read chapter 3, God begins to tell them, number one, the ark must go ahead. He gives them instructions as well. The ark must go ahead. When you see the ark move, you must follow. And, and for me, it's not like they were just looking for a miracle of the Jordan River parting. These guys were going to, they were actually going to fight. And you can actually see the most wars they fought, there was instruction. They were ready to inherit the land. These were people who were saying, Lord, fulfill your word through my life. They were not postponing things and saying, the next generation will. They were saying, we are the ones who inherit the land. You know, they were saying that by being ready to march. They knew the Lord was with them. There was no doubt about this issue. Like I said, it's a people who knew that the fulfillment of God's process, promises was going to happen through their lives. It was not going to be a miracle. You know? They were like, this is me, this is the word, and it's going to be fulfilled through me. I'm going to see God fulfill his word through my life. And there's people who offered the Lord faith and obedience. That's all they offer to God. Faith and obedience. And that's why it, it may look simple, but it's war. When I obey God, it's war. When I do something in God, it's war. When I say yes and I begin to administer his will in my space, it is war. Sometimes people need to live in a place that is a lot of darkness so they can see how much war they are fighting. I was telling someone, I'm saying, I live around a place where there are, most men my age are always drunk. Most men, all of them. Always drunk. 
I know what my, 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 my stature, my demeanor means. I'm not blind. I'm not blind to my husbandry, being a man of a household. I know what it's doing. Sometimes you have to look at the darkness around you to kind of appreciate the obedience you are doing in your world. The placard you are lifting, that I'm going to be a husband. There's actually two of us who are married there. Men my age, two of us. So you have to appreciate the war to actually begin to fight like you are in a fight. If you are, not, if you are blind to what you are fighting, you would think these things mean nothing. But I know that they declare, you know, you know we usually call when we talk, talk on gender-based violence, we talk about the uncle and aunt syndrome in the township. The unaccountable virus in the township. They do as they please. They don't have to marry. They can have thousands of kids everywhere and not take care of them. And they are the standard that other kids are following. They think it's okay to have a number of kids and not take care of them. And I, I know that's my backhoe. I know that's what my husbandry and my, hus my, my being a father is actually declaring in the space. I know my enemy. It's the uncle syndrome. So I know that me building my family, loving my family, is kind of protesting against that thing. So sometimes you appreciate the amount of, of, of when your obedience has a context of relevance, you begin to realize, shucks, man, I'm going to even pray, even increase my prayer a bit. Because you know the warfare you're fighting. So, 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 so it's very important to understand. They, they saw Jericho. They saw. They were very aware of the battle ahead of them. They were not blind to it. And that's another thing that we must do in this time. You must actually know that what is my inheritance of righteousness here? It's marriages. It's families that are healthy. That's my inheritance. That's the territory I'm fighting for. So when you look at the story, you'll find out that these guys were ready. There was no two way about it. These guys were ready. Without Moses, they were ready. They were ready to obey God and fight. And they fought. If you continue to read the book of Joshua, you realize these guys fought. They didn't play. So, as we close, what is our territory? So, the household and the community is the territories that we are fighting for. I know... I, I, I was thinking about, I was born again in a time where, 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 where the territory was having as many meetings as possible. And people were getting saved, I won't lie to you. There's a lot. I mean, I was saved in a, in, a, in a week. That's where I got saved. Of a neighbor that passed away. Someone was preaching, I got saved. That was the war footing then. And our footing was powerful. I mean, if you look at people who got saved around 1990, 1998, 97, you'll realize there was a footing that God had. And he was actually using certain things to actually advance the kingdom in those days. Powerful proclamation of the word of God. I mean, I remember one, I, think, I don't know if some of you remember this, one worship meeting we had at, at DUT. That was just super amazing. How, the, how you could use music to proclaim the word of God. Just people proclaiming the word of God using music, using different things. And powerfully working. In your day, this is the backup space. Your manhood. 
You dealing with your sexuality. You dealing with the sense of who am I as a man. This is the battle territory. You better mobilize resources to build this. If it means reading books, reading the word, sitting with other men. You want to be that man that is a standard because that's the war footing that God wants. If there is an advance that God wants, he wants more men who are actually representing Christ in their space. So if ever there's a territory to take, that's the territory. A territory of manhood, womanhood, marriage, family, and friendship. It's a big territory. We're living in a day where people say, you, you know, when you see statements on Facebook, you see all kinds of things. You don't need nobody. Do you, whatever. They, they do all kinds of, That means this thing. Who cares about friendships? And we must reclaim the power of this territory. Genuine friendships. People walking in conviction. Like Jesus said, you are my friends because I've told you everything the Father has told me. Friendships build on conviction. Family. Whenever I talk on gender-based violence, I tell pastors, just get your kids married. You'll deal with gender-based violence. Simple as that. Reclaim these territories. Teach. Even single people, teach them what marriage is. You will actually deal with gender-based violence. So when you think of gender-based violence, you must understand, this is the collapse. So when you look at your neighborhood and you're walking around, or you are somewhere, that's the first buckle footing. That's the, war, the territory you want. You want to represent a man in Christ, a woman, a marriage in Christ, a family in Christ, and friendships that are built in Christ. Yeah. Number two, neighborhood. This is hectic, eh? Mm. I know, I was thinking of Jose when I wrote this. I'll think about your neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> They were neighborhood. Schools. Workspaces, businesses, neighborhood activity. I remember during COVID, I'm sure everybody patrolled from time to time. <laughs> I was looting. Even if you were not a patroller, I'm sure that day you patrolled. It's a territory. In your neighborhood, there are activities that you can plug yourself into and begin to do something with those Spaces. Depends on who you are. Your neighbor. You know, I have two neighbors. One smokes dacha and it comes into my house. The other one drinks every weekend. That's my reality. That's my neighborhood. That's my neighbor. And the Bible says, if you're thinking a neighbor is the next door, that's my next door reality. It's a territory I need to engage. And I can't engage it well if I haven't won this. Yeah. I must win here. Then I can be able to have something to offer here. Another territory, local church. We live in a time where people are attending church on Facebook. Eh? The rebuilding of local churches. Rebuilding of local communities. The honoring of what they represent in the space and what they are about. The collection of families who are actually devoted to working and actually representing God in a space. The rebuilding of this. To honor this space. You wouldn't be saved if ever this space didn't exist. 
a warfare territory, to rebuild local churches, regional relationships, to really begin to live beyond your, your space. Your work does that for you sometimes. And it's work sometimes takes you to other people. Can you deliberately begin to build this and not build it by default? I remember when I used to work for PwC, I had this guy I worked with, he had girlfriends everywhere we went. We used to travel, like you're auditing this area and that area and that area. And that was his regional expression. I'm trying to say, this regional thing happens. Either, it, it depends how you facilitate it. He decided that everywhere we went, there is a girlfriend. So, you could deliberately begin to build regional relationships. Have relationship beyond your context that you know, that's what I mean. You know, you live maybe in a township, that's all you know. Or you live in a suburb, that's all you know. Maybe it's time you know something different. Regional relationship provides you with an appreciation of something you don't know. You even appreciate what you have because you are now aware of a regional relationship. If you meet a believer who doesn't have the privileges you have, you begin to realize, Shucks, I'm privileged. I mean, if ever you meet a believer from Ukraine right now, you'll appreciate peace in a different way. So regional relationship has to do with expanding you and making you really become expanded in Christ and begin to begin to really appreciate things that you've never thought of before. It has to do with exposing you to different contexts and global connections. And, but the, the key thing to this thing is those two things. You can't do this individually. You can try. You can try. It will require you to build friendships. It will require you to actually connect to local churches. It will require you. So, a day of movement, LSA. A day of movement. A day of movement. That means you are moving in your home. I don't know what it means in your home. In my home, this thing means setting proper prayer times like I used to before, praying with my family. It means studying of the word or reading of the word. I even said, no, just read it. I don't need you to explain it. Just the discipline of reading the word. Just the discipline of reading the word that you've read a chapter in the word of God today where I'm happy. I'm mobilizing my troops. So the idea is, in your day of movement, what is it that you have? Remember, the military guys, they don't just go march. Eh? There are things that they do so that when they march, they are marching accordingly. So there could be a number of things that could happen in your day of movement. For me, it's moving your home to a different spiritual context. I mean, in the way you need to do it. If you don't know, find someone to actually help you and say, look, I, I want not just prayer in my home. I want fervency. I want a prayer that is fervent in my home. How do I do it? I want consistency. Maybe I need to phone and say, dude, today is Monday. It's your prayer day for your family. So mobilize yourself. Find courage there. Call everyone around the table. You know how difficult that is? <laughs> to call everyone in your own home around the table from their own programs. Because remember, homes are homes, but people have their agendas. It's almost like you are saying to them, cancel your agenda and come to this agenda. So it's warfare. You may be warring around time of TikTok or around time of, 
of, of movies or whatever. There is war that is taking place. So mobilizing administratively, getting a home into a spiritual routine is war. Even getting yourself, people know. Imagine if you have a prayer. Those who built a prayer routine, they know how difficult that thing is. So these are wars we're fighting. A day of movement is those things. Deciding to pick a phone call, to call someone and begin to engage. A day of movement is that. Moving from positions of being not actually engaged spiritually to being actively engaged spiritually. And know what seeds you are planting in your territory. That means I know what I'm planting in my world. I know what I'm planting. If I, you must actually come and say, what are you planting in your space right now? And you can say what it is. I'm not saying plant the whole vineyard. You could be planting just a chili tree. It's okay. Small chili tree. You plant that. That could be a habit of coming back home at a particular time. We started some time back of having dinner at a very specific time in my home. And by God's grace, we've kept it. And that dinner has multiplied over on top of it. We've laid prayer. Just thanking God. So these things are war. It's me, my troops, learning how to march. And God will give us energy for more things. Almost trying to get out of, I'm not saying spontaneous prayer is not good. But it's good to have routine. Then spontaneous comes on routine. Spontaneous is good. I'm sure spontaneous are very powerful as well. Boom. Where this spontaneous prayer it was amazing. Yeah. The other prayer that is not just super amazing, routine prayer is powerful as well. Because it's taking over territory. Looking for spiritual resources. Could be buying a book. It could be going to our LSA resources pulling out a topic we've dealt with, sitting down, going over it and reading it and beginning to actually pick out things and you pray over that to actually be a reality in your life. Meaning you are aware, I'm building, I'm building how to love my wife better. I go to MDF, I look at that session, I listen to that session and I begin to practice those things. That, that's what a day of movement is. A day of movement. A day of actually saying, actually at some point you should be able to quantify your contribution. What is your lamp that you are slaughtering? What are your bitter herbs? You must at least tell me, these are my bitter herbs, these are my, this is my lamp, this is my attitudes that I'm building, that are new in my life, that I'm contributing to the movement towards a humanity in Christ. Quantify. Last comment. There is a phrase that, that Robert said in the Kingdom Humanity meeting. He was talking about, you may think your church is healthy, but what is your measurement that you use to say your church is healthy? Have you checked out the families of those people? My, my M and E mind begin to think of, what should I do to measure the health of my family? What are things that I can measure and say, if ever there's this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing, this could be a picture that this family is a bit healthy. Meaning there must be a way to say, my church is healthy because my families are at this state. We could put a very simple measuring yardstick and say, I know that my families are, of my church are prayerful. I know that the kids in my family have a routine. 
I know that the kids in my family are being taught the ways in this way in my church. That's your input. The output, you could probably measure it in a certain way. But you can't measure a church by like how we used to, how beautiful the Sunday meeting was. I mean, even a choreographer can beat us at that, guys. Let's be honest. If I choreograph it right and put some things here and I could make you feel things. You think it's Jesus, I tell you. I'm just, that's the honest truth. But the measure of it is your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so that's movement. If we're moving, if ever we believe the word of King of Humanity, if ever in our heart we say we receive, we believe, and that's what we feel God has called us to represent to the body and to the world, there better be movement in our life. Movement. And I want to be connected to the movement in your home. I want to be connected in the movement in your life. I want you to be connected. I want you to have shares in the movement in my home. And say, I've come to, as a shareholder, Mr. Mafa, I've come to check how my, my shares are doing. Because I'm a shareholder in your marriage. I'm a shareholder in your manhood. I'm a shareholder in your womanhood. I'm a shareholder. I have an inheritance in your life. So I have a right to come and check it out and say, how are things going? Is there, are you doing good investment? Oh, you've been not investing. You've been sleeping. Okay. We need to kind of correct that because this is my company. You are part of the collective. So it's a day of movement, Ellison. A day to march. And we must not in any way slack in this day. It's a day of war. It's a day to fight. To fight for your kids. To fight. To fight for everything in your space. That God may actually break darkness. Amen. That God may actually break darkness. My hope is families in Umlazi. That's my hope. My hope is healthy men. And that hope begins simply by me marching in my home. Being that man first, at least. Amen. That's what we want to do. Can you stand? A day of movement.